Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes how similar money is and investing is to nutrition because it's it's mysterious inputs. There's a bunch of stuff going into our mouths and our bodies, right? And it's unclear or sometimes hard to measure output. And so it's mysterious for people. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have Hillary Hendershot, and I'm excited because we've got woman and money talking. Hillary is a certified financial planner and an advisor business owner. She also hosts a podcast, and she's a wealth coach with over 18 years of industry experience. She leads her clients and audiences to financial freedom from her experience and expertise, and despite hard work and effort, Hillary found herself in debt at one point in her wealth journey. But then she discovered the keys to a new kind of financial freedom that allowed her to transform her life from self-made chaos to abundance. She grew to a seven-figure practice, earned financial freedom, and dedicated her professional life to empowering others to be free of constraints around money. Welcome, Hillary. Hi, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so Hillary, let's talk about this because off air, we were just kind of talking about how when you think of financial stuff, a lot of times we think about men or women aren't supposed to talk about money, et cetera. So what kind of got you into the financial advisor space? And have you found it? Have you found like, I just have to ask this as well. So maybe you can wrap it in there. Did you find when you got into it that it was kind of like an old man's club? Was it hard to get into, et cetera? <laughs> So funny that you asked that. And the answer is yes, big capital letters, yes, to the old man's club thing. So the answer to your question, I'll start with three, because there's it's three things that happened. So first, literally, my father mentored me into the business. He was a comprehensive financial advisor, my, basically my entire life, brought me into his business. And so that's literally how I got started. And yes, it, in my experience, it was an old white man club. I looked around me and everyone I saw who was in my industry, my my competitors or colleagues, if you will, looked like my dad, okay? And so I felt estranged, ostracized, like not like I didn't fit and really like lacked confidence. 
And then I started to suffer my own financial problems. So it turns out like I was a financial planner, but I wasn't doing money right. And then as I started to figure that out, I thought, well, if I can figure this mindset piece out, maybe I can give it away. And sort of along that path, I became a part of a, a, a women's only mastermind. So I figured out what it's like and what it feels like to be a woman supporting women and being supported by women. And uh, so then I just decided, oh my gosh, this whole money topic is so far out there for so many women. What if I can be that voice or part of that chorus of voices making money accessible and uh, and wealth building a topic that really works for women? So it really was like one, two, three pieces. And <laughs> I can talk about any one of those if you want. I mean, maybe that's enough to kind of answer your question. But I kind of make it my business to, to for example, not to use Wall Street speak. Uh, many women I talk to say that when they go see their financial advisor or their husband's financial advisor they feel talked down to or some some people some women report that their financial their male sort of wall street financial advisor doesn't even look them in the eye so they feel like why am i even here and i'm just very different than that right i actually this reminds me of a friend i was talking to recently she told me that she needed to go buy a new pickup for xyz ranch things and she took along her husband because she said, well, you know how those car dealerships are. They just, you know, kind of treat women like they don't matter or something. And so it's somewhat, it's somewhat like that in the financial space, as you were just talking about, you know, they're not being looked at as equals to men in the financial space is an issue. So you're filling this huge hole, right? Um, Why do you think that so many women fear investment markets and risk and just financial stuff, the whole piece of their financial planning piece and financial ownership in general? Yeah, as we I think as we come into our own and I don't necessarily need to use the word feminism, but it's apparent to everyone that women are stepping into more power, more we're we're taking responsibility for our voice our seat at the boardroom table, as it were. And I think that we're evolving out of a time period, you know, truly financial advice, comprehensive financial advice has only been around for, let's say, 30 years. Before that, it was stock brokering. I mean, the stock market really isn't that old, right? Mm -hmm. And so before that, you had Wall Street brokers sitting in in the bullpen with phones, smiling and dialing, trying to churn accounts. And, you you know, the Wolf of Wall Street kind of story. And that was a that's a language or a, an area, a topic that's very ego dominated. It's all about making more money. It's all about dominating your neighbor, friend, brother, son. You know, it's all about that that ego based cocktail party talk. Okay, and money really doesn't have to be that way. In fact, what we know from all the evidence is that investing that way or talking or thinking about your money that way actually doesn't pan out. It's not really the most beneficial way to invest. So as we've got more research and more evidence that's published and peer reviewed that says, hey, actually, the right way to engage in this is with a long term perspective. It's about thinking about the rest of your life and getting yourself on a path that you can predict and that you know is going to produce the returns or the results at the end of the day that you want. It's about being able to fulfill on the things that are important to you, sending the kids to college, going on vacation, buying next car, and ultimately achieving financial freedom. So it's sort of these dovetail effects. And there's uh, there was a small cohort of well-meaning people who broke out of that Wall Street uh, stockbroker kind of 
conversation and role and said, let's let's actually be comprehensive financial planners and help people get on the right path. And so you have this this cottage industry of independent financial advisors, of which I am one, who don't have any relationship with a bank brokerage or financial institution, no products to sell. So when you go see a comprehensive financial advisor, you're not left wondering, why is this person trying to now sell me insurance or an annuity or whole life insurance? Right. And I get so many people who call me and say, if I come to your office, are you going to try to sell me insurance? I said, no, I don't have any insurance to sell you. <laughs> right. I just give good advice. And so I think it really is those two forces at play that are bringing women to the table as it regards being responsible for their own money. And I think that emotionally and in terms of mindset, what I'm really trying to facilitate or encourage is um, the the willingness of women to have assets in their own name. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I'm working with a client now who, um, they were a couple in their 70s, so 75 approximately years old. He just died. So she's a new widow and she wants nothing to do with me despite my having had lunch with her and been to her home and knowing her socially. And it's not that she doesn't want anything to do with me personally. She loves me, but she doesn't even want to talk about her money. She said, I'm giving my son, you know, financial power of attorney. All communications need to go through him. And so I would describe that as a very first of all, a professional failure on my part that I didn't get there to the starting line with her before this happened. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's that is exactly the kind of thing that I'm trying to undo for the for younger women or the next generation, however you want to language it. It's like, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's actually appropriate for you to build big accounts in your name and either learn to talk about them on your own or talk or hire a, a, a partner financial advisor to do that with you. Yeah, I love that. And I should go back a moment <laughs> because you were talking about something that I I know exactly the people that call and say, like, I've, I've been in their shoes. If I come to your office, you're going to try to sell me insurance because there's a difference in a comprehensive financial advisor. And then there's a lot of companies that kind of have insurance products and they're just limited to their products. Correct. And so people exactly. have experienced that a lot. Well, not just insurance companies, any Wall Street brokerage, any kind, any brand name brokerage. So your Merrill Lynch, your Smith Barney, your Edward Jones, all these companies are essentially financial institutions that have proprietary products to sell. So if you go see them, you're going to see a lot of their named products in your portfolio and you are paying a premium mm -hmm. to own those products. I have no products to sell. I literally work with what I consider to be the best uh, options that are out there in the world. And, and I'm constantly looking for what's better and I have no financial relationship with the companies that I choose. So that really is the difference between a, a, an independent and a non-independent advisor. Yeah. And I, I resonate a lot with this because I just went through this conversation with my own financial advisor pretty recently, why he doesn't work with products because it limits you from using the best thing. So I think it's good for us to have this discussion because if you think about it, like there's no financial, you know, honestly, to go back one step, this show, we have, a, we talk a lot about health, but I would say aside from putting health in second place, the biggest thing that we struggle with in this country is probably financial competency, I think, right? Knowing how to plan, plan for the future, plan ahead and manage things well, right? And just to go back to how 
money and financial management used to be this old man's club. I heard a stat recently that men only feel like they need to know 60% of what a job entails before they apply for that job. And women need to know 100% of it before they'll go and apply for that job. So just like just that man, woman, Venus, Mars, there's a little bit of a difference there that might make us shy away from doing anything at all, right? I think so. I mean, you know, combine that with uh, there was formerly strongly held belief that women had a disadvantage against men when it came to doing math. So a lot of times you'll hear women say, oh, I'm just not good at numbers. And they sort of just hand wave the whole money. Pick. I'm not going to think about it because I'm not good at numbers. But most the most successful personal financial and wealth planning is simple arithmetic, right? And not only that, but that that strongly held belief has really been debunked, strongly debunked. There, There isn't any evidence that out of hand, girls are disadvantaged when it comes to math versus boys. So, um, so I think we're, we're coming out of that mindset, but I'm still, I'm still, I'm fighting the good fight about it. Yeah. Well, you wrote actually a piece talking about fear a little bit more and just kind of lack of confidence. You wrote a piece on your website about how fear impacts financial decisions. In general, money can be a little bit too tied to emotions, right? Especially if we're talking about risk, you know, because there's like conservative investments and risky investments. You know, how do you, what is some of your um, advice about how you keep this emotional, emotional piece out of it, right? With, so you don't make decisions based on emotions only. Yeah, real tough. Um, So first of all, human beings are emotional creatures who make emotional choices and then justify those choices with facts. So it's very tough to simply give you a a rule of thumb to keep emotions out of decision making. Just know that you are an emotional creature, (laughs) whether you're a man or a woman, and that you can go read a book called Thinking Fast Slow by a Nobel Prize winner called uh, Daniel Kahneman. And after Daniel Kahneman, who's a PhD, wrote the entire book, about all the ways that human beings make flawed choices based on their incorrect perception of reality. He wrote an entire chapter in that book about how he himself, who literally wrote the book, could not get him, could not create an environment in which he himself avoided making those same flawed decisions. (laughs) So uh, there are, uh, so there are comprehensive advisors who call ourselves behavioral advisors and I'm one of those and so part of our promise to our clients is that we'll help you not make emotional choices. I'm on the phone with my clients often talking about how they are ready to make an emotional choice with their money that doesn't necessarily align with the plan that we made in a non-emotional environment. So they're in my office, there's nothing on deck, there's no hot piece of property that they want to buy, there's no opportunity to buy a timeshare, right? So we're making a plan and they call me and they want to deviate from the plan because of their emotions. And so so I'm constantly getting out the plan and remind them, hey, look, if you do this, we're going to get off track by 10% or 15%. So how do you either want to recover from that? Or do you maybe want to delay this choice or not even make it? Mm-hmm. Totally. The book name is <laughs> Thinking Fast, Slow What by Daniel something. I think you got uh-huh. thinking... a second in, there in the title. Sorry. Uh-oh. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Okay. Thanks. We'll add to yeah. the show notes. Yeah. Daniel Kahneman. Okay. 
So let's get down to the nitty gritty because you've really designed a framework on building wealth. And I mean, the focus is women here. So let's talk about that because this is something you figured out through grit, right? You, you (laughs) had landed in financial despair yourself and then climbed out of it and created the opposite. I mean, these success, these stories happen, right? So if you want, you can tell us a little bit about that, but talk to us about this seven step framework you created. Just uh, and again, real briefly, because I think it will I think it would really be great for your listeners to know that there is a very simple seven step framework. So I'll spend just a teeny bit of time on how I encountered it. And the basic gist of it is that I got myself through your basic pattern of overspending and living a life I couldn't afford trying to impress people I didn't even like into a ton of credit card debt. And I I got one of those terrible mortgages that nobody should have ever had where your loan amount actually increased every month, which was horrible. And they never should have made those loans. But I, of course, had one. And so there came a time when I pulled into the gas station and my beautiful BMW convertible and I couldn't even buy a tank of gas. And so I obviously had to do my walk of shame home because I couldn't I drive the car on an empty tank. And I I started talking to myself and I said, it's clear, Hillary, that your choices to this point have led you to this result. And uh, and, and I'm not, and now I'm speaking first person, uh, and I'm not committed to this being my life going forward. This is not my life. So I made a decision. I'm going to do everything different than I've been doing up to now financially. And that decision altered my entire view of my financial life. And, uh, you know, I kind of came clean, I cleared the decks, I repaid the debts, I rebuilt my bank accounts. And now I run um, a very successful and profitable wealth management firm, got several employees. So I really have turned things around. But that decision was the very first thing that gave me a new view that made it clear what those what the next actions were to take. So really deciding to be rich is the first step to wealth. And many of the people listening to your podcast now, for some of them, they're actually recoiling when I say that because we have such a mindset about money. It shouldn't be about the money. Wanting money is greedy. Um, Money is the root of all evil, right? And these are the very first mindsets we have to replace or alter or transform in order to set the stage for a healthy financial life. So even though deciding is very conceptual, it's not necessarily tangible, it doesn't have to be hard, it is definitely the critical first step. And then after that, the second step is speak. So we really have to impact what you're saying about money and feel free to jump in here because there are seven steps. So I could go through all of them. <laughs> Let me know if you have any questions. So, um, this, so, so we're, we're many of us are, first of all, we're not typically engaged in an empowered conversation about money. If you think about it, because talking about money can be very taboo, especially for women. Most of us only talk to ourselves about money or sometimes ourselves and maybe our partner. And so many people are not getting along about money, right? So money for many people is a very negative conversation. You're saying things like, I can't afford that. There will never be enough money. We can never make enough money. So you got to take a very close look at what you're actually saying because your words actually in many ways create your reality. And I'm sure that you as health coaches, you encounter this in your clients or patients that people have very disempowered language about themselves and food or themselves and their nutrition or themselves and their physical fitness, right? 
I so couldn't a- agree more about this, actually, because yes. <laughs> uh, I used to speak kind of negatively about money because I grew up in a household. I think you always go back and you don't realize what you were dealing with until you're outside of it, right? Like until someone points out that this isn't totally perfect or normal or whatever, or this could be better, you don't realize it's even an issue, right? And so kind of grew up, I would say, just in general with fixed mindset beliefs. And so once I started learning about fixed and growth mindset, I was able to realize, oh, I kind of grew up in the fixed mindset. Oh, and then it turned into, hey, I don't necessarily speak positively about money. I would say I don't care about it. It's not important to me. It's not valuable to me. I do not want to converse about it. It's very boring to me. And finally, one of my coaches said, I think that's going to like kick you in the butt right there. Like you need to work on your money mindset because you saying you don't want any or saying it's not important to you is kind of, you know, you start to manifest that a little bit, right? So you have to be careful. We've all grown up or known people that say this, like I could never afford that, right? So like you just said, you manifest it. And it's funny how when you start being more positively, when you wrote, when you said speak, you wrote, you said speak for step number two. And I just filled in, speak positively about money. <laughs> and that's not necessarily even what you said, but I just filled it in as that because that's, you know, that's how I think about it now. Yeah. Let me give you an example. A gal I worked with in, I have a coaching program and she was with me last year. She was in a very disempowered conversation about herself and a past divorce. She had left this divorce. They had been sort of keeping up with the Joneses. And when they finally split, not only did she not have a place to live, she didn't have a job. She was just starting her career as a real estate agent. She had three thousand three. She left the marriage with $300,000 in credit card debt. Okay, so she literally with three kids lived in free living situations, like slept on friends couches or took other like in the in-law unit. Okay, for years while she built up her business and she was constantly talking about how she was a survivor. She was creating herself as a a victim slash survivor with her friends and colleagues and everyone thought she was. I thought she was incredibly strong for overcoming what she had overcome. But her divorce, when I met her, was 12 years in the past, right? So what I said to her is, look, and and we'll call her Danica. So that's not her real name. But I said to her, look, Danica, you can't, you're never going to be empowered financially. You're never going to be financially free as long as who you are for yourself and other people is this person overcoming because overcoming is never standing at the top of the mountain. And she finally got it and she got really inspired about it. And she went around to the people who were closest to her and recreated herself in their conversations. So she said, look at that's the past. I'm not the past anymore. Now I'm actually creating a triumphant life. I'm actually going to get financially free. I'm going to stop spending more than I make because she actually, when she joined the program, she had $400,000 of income and she was spending like four, 430 because she was paying for three kids to go to college in California out of cash flow. She had no savings. So she just had all these obligations. She would not stop spending. And she went to her kids and she said, I got to be real. I can't, I, I can't do both. I can't pay for myself and you. And they said to her mom, we totally get it. And we've been expecting this, right? And by the time she finished the program, and I didn't really even go to work with her anywhere else, she finished the program with almost $900,000 in income. She said as soon as she started transforming her dialogue or speaking in an empowered way, she had more listings than she knew what to do with. And that really is the power of empowered speaking. You you use the word positive speaking, but you can see how that narrative of being almost at the top of the mountain keeps you from being at the top of the mountain. 
Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I, I love to tell that story because it's so, it's so triumphant. And it's so obvious that that is the, the foundation of what she needed to change. Totally. Plus, if you are drawing a line in the sand, some of the people that knew you before the line in the sand could be it's not their fault, but it, it's easy for you to kind of go back to old ways if you aren't notifying, if you aren't helping change your environment, right? So if you're still going to be hanging out with the same people and they don't necessarily, like, how do you, it's, imp- it, I think what was so useful was she also told people, I'm making a change and I want you to be supportive in it as well, you know, because, yep, exactly. So, all right. Yeah. And just to be real, some of her friends didn't come with her. Right. Mm -hmm. We all know that when we molt in life, sometimes people don't come with us Mm -hmm. and it's sad, but that's life. Mm -hmm. So, okay, the the third step is plan. And that really it really is just knowing how much is coming in, knowing and planning for how much you're going to spend and saving for those lumpy expenses, including financial freedom before they occur. And I can make such a difference with people when we really dig into their spending and uh, traditional budgets have you categorizing based on things like utilities and clothing and self-care and nobody in my experience only engineers ever keep up with that kind of budgeting plan so I don't use it and I don't recommend it instead I use a really simple cash flow technique I call automation and what we do is we plan for your overhead expenses and your bills get paid automatically and then we look at what's left which basically discretionary spending and savings. And the thing that most people do wrong is they plan their money by spending what they want to spend and then saving what's left over. So instead, we do it the opposite. We plan your savings and then you get to spend what's left over. And it's really clean. It totally scales no matter how much money you have. I use this exact system to get myself out of tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And I have multimillionaire clients who swear by it to to manage their retirement spending. So I I like to make things really easy. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So once you've got your plan in place, now you've got to expand your financial life by asking. So the fourth step is ask, make bigger and bigger requests of the world. And this can be asking for a discount or asking for more, or asking for a business partner or asking your partner, your husband or wife to plan with you or asking your kids to apply for a scholarship. I mean, there's innumerable ways to ask. Negotiations is always a hot topic. That's a form of asking, right? But this is about using your speaking to make your financial life bigger. Or if you're in business for yourself, raising your prices would be a form of asking. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fifth step is earn. So now that we're asking, we have to take inspired action to bring income and assets into your financial ecosystem. And I mean, that may seem like obvious. Earning is a a key function of your financial life, but most business coaching programs focus only on this step. And then they wonder why that they wonder why money comes into your business accounts, but never actually makes it to your personal accounts. And by the way, if you have money in your business accounts, you don't own it until it's in an account that's titled to you. (laughs) So it's important to have personal income and then also save that money. And then of course, the sixth step is invest because you know that you got to have compound returns to make that money bigger and bigger in a truly passive way. And I know that investing is, you know, you you can get a master's degree in just that one word, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there really are at this point really evidence-based ways. You know, I might compare it to, and I don't know if I'm opening a can of worms here, but I might compare it to the Mediterranean diet, right? (laughs) Nobody really argues with the Mediterranean diet. It's like, that's a healthy evidence-based way. There are other ways to accomplish what you want in your diet 
it. But there are, and similarly, there are very evidence-based ways and low cost and easy to get into ways to invest in very, um, in my opinion, high returning, high relative returning accounts. Okay. Let's just let that be what it is. I'm a fan of food analogies. So that, that was a home run. Did it work? Okay, good. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I ho- I was hoping you weren't going to take up arms against the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and then the seventh step is protect. So once you've built your financial, your, your nest egg, you have to make sure you keep it. You have to build a moat around it. So don't do stupid stuff with your money and buy the insurance policies that you need. Um, probably for if you're a parent, you need life insurance, you need your homeowners, your auto, your health, your renters, and maybe an umbrella policy to make sure that once you own it, nobody takes it from you. That really is the seven steps to wealth. And you've heard, we've all heard stories of people building up assets and losing them or getting an inheritance or winning the lottery or getting into the NFL and being a multi-multi-millionaire and squandering it all. And every one of those stories of financial failure is an example of failing to execute on one of these seven steps because they're all necessary to have in place in order to keep your money in your life. Yeah. And I have a, a point I want to make about the order of the seven steps. But just to piggyback, I heard the other day from a former NFL player that had like a built a giant company, then lost it all story. He was talking about, I think he's doing speaking. It doesn't matter. He gave a stat that was something like 78% of NFL players that go bankrupt in a short amount of time because they're not probably following these steps or any steps in order to protect their assets, right? They kind of sink in into something. So. I actually quoted that very statistic in my TEDx talk. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah. I love that. I love that earn is number five, right? Because it's what we think about as being number one. But there are mindset pieces and planning and other pieces that will help the earning be like have a better return, essentially, right? Yeah, well... Look, when I was an overspender, I was also a high earner. I mean, I was in my early 20s earning $120,000 a year, spending 140. And I've met couples who earn a million dollars a year and spend 1.1. 1. 1. Mm-hmm. And either way, you're broke. It doesn't matter how much you earn. If you spend more than you make, you are broke. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there and and those are mindset problems. Like nobody needs to spend one point one million dollars a year, mm-hmm. right? So it it comes down to some view or le- language issue that leads to a view. Like if you say to yourself, "The r- money is the root of all evil," or "There's never enough money," no matter how much you earn, you will rid yourself of it quickly through poverty thinking. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit before about how. Maybe women aren't confident when it when we think about finances, et cetera. What would you say? How do you help someone start improving that confidence today? How do you is it through learning? Is it through education? Is it through asking questions? How do they improve their confidence so they can get to the next level? Yeah, let me tell you how I do it when they work with me. And then this can translate to you can set this up in your own life. Okay, so I think it takes three things. I think it takes support and accountability. I love masterminds. So I create a mastermind for vulnerability, transparency. Women can share what's really there for them. And then the other women in the group reflect. This is what I hear from you. This is what I see for you, right? And again, I've had women who listen to my podcast set up these masterminds around the country. So that's accountability and support. The second is real 
technical cash flow work. So really measuring what's coming in, what's going out, what are you saving, setting up those automatic payments so that every month you're not making a decision about how much to save. It just disappears from your accounts invisibly to you. And that I, I call that a, a profit machine. So profit is in your business is the difference between revenue and costs and profit in your personal life is the difference between income and spending. And you've got to have profit to be rich. So the automation sets that up. So that's the cash flow work. And then the third is the mindset work. And so really how participating in a conversation with someone who stands possibility for you. What is your background with money? By the way, you're not tied to your background with money. You can trans you can transcend it. Okay. So a lot of these financial coaches will say, well, what's your history? Talk with your partner about what's your history with money? What were your family experiences? Well, yeah, your family experiences were what your family experiences were, but you're not branded with those like a tattoo, right? That's your past. And it doesn't have to impact your present or your future. If you can unwind what happened and create a blank slate for yourself by your own declaration in the case of Danica, who we talked about. So she did that through a combination of those three things. So, you know, I, I'm not a, I think that affirmations work for some people, but ultimately if they worked universally, we'd all be skinny and rich, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny that you ahead. say that because I wrote these three steps down and it's comical how much life, like different specialties overlap. So real quick point flag, I have a podcast about why, you know, I don't focus on weight loss, but if I would just write down three steps, it would be like support and accountability, be the technical piece or the science piece, or, you know, in your piece, the technical flow work. And then three is the mindset piece as well. So I'm like, oh, it's almost like that. Uh, it correlates yeah. well. You know, I almost wrote a blog article once about how similar money is and investing is to nutrition because it's it's mysterious inputs because there's a bunch of stuff going into our financial life. There's a bunch of stuff going into our mouths and our bodies, right? And it's it's uh, all like unclear or sometimes hard to measure outputs. And so it's very it's just a it's it's a it's mysterious for people. So I think our topics have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. So we talked about the seven steps to wealth. And then at the end, we talk about retirement, right? So what's your number one piece of advice when it comes to setting yourself up for a successful retirement? Oh, wow. Um, well, look, I'm going to say work with a comprehensive financial advisor, but like I can say for sure, nobody on my watch has failed. Nobody on my watch has ever run out of money. Okay. Um, but obviously I'm biased. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Uh, I think that you need to, you, you must get yourself on an adequate savings plan and get yourself a good evidence-based investment portfolio and be confident that your savings rate and your investment returns are going to lead you to that finish line. So retirement is synonymous with financial freedom. These days, people don't like the word retirement. So I often just say financial freedom. That's when your income from your investments or business interests can replace your earned income so you can stop working or stop working as much as you do or stop working if you want to. And so the, that's a, there, the ways to do that are very technical and you can take the time to do it or you can hire it out. Cool. I like how you talked about that. Uh, in, in place of retirement, you talked about financial freedom instead. And I think that that can happen really at any age. People protest the word retirement. They say to me, oh, I'll never stop working. Okay, fine. Except guess what? I don't know any 85-year-olds who are still 
working, but you have to leave people to figure that out for themselves. <laughs> yeah. So Hillary, this is a question everyone gets, you know, if you could leave people with one takeaway, um, before we talk about where to find you, if you could leave people with one takeaway on the piece that if you feel like if there's a woman out there in the audience today that feels like you're talking directly to her, what piece do you want to leave them with today? Um, what I want you to know is that no matter where you are, no matter the mistakes or missteps of the past, no matter how stuck you think you are, anything is possible for you in the world of money, that there's innumerable examples of people who have transformed their lives later in the years, and that money isn't an end to itself, but money makes available to you so much in terms of dignity, choices, um, freedom, vacations, time spent with kids and loved ones and grandkids. So it really is about that. And and if you're thinking pessimistically now, you can get connected with a framework or a voice or a coach that can help you transform that. And I've seen it so many times and I know it's possible for you. I love it. Hillary, where can people find you? You can find me if you have room in your podcast lineup. I am the host of Profit Boss radio where we talk about these topics all day long and also if you're interested in finding out more about my 50k wealth multiplier coaching program you can put yourself on the interest list actually applications go live on april 11th 2019 but just go to 50k and either download the white paper or put your put your name on the interest list or just apply cool love it thanks so much hillary for uh shedding some light on this topic it was a good time yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 